All right, good evening, folks, and welcome to the 20th annual Asian American Film Festival at the Graduate Center. Look, can you believe we are live? We take this so for granted now because, oh, well, yeah, we can meet in person, but for four years, we were not. And so the films that we're going to watch today is a tribute to the achievements um, that they have uh, arrived at based on all the challenges they had to face during COVID. So, um, and, and a hearty congratulations to all the filmmakers. Uh, are any filmmakers here today? Can you please stand up so we can see you, so we can celebrate your work? Filmmakers? And, And maybe family of filmmakers, <laughs> right? All right. So I'm Vinit Parmar, and I'm the vice uh, chair of the ARI Board, Asian American Asian um, uh, Research Institute. And so I'm one of the film festival judges and an associate professor at the film department at Brooklyn College, where I've been there for 20 years. So... Um, the, we've always had an opportunity to be at this uh, wonderful theater and I just want to thank the Institute and thank this theater for hosting us again after such a long time of a hiatus of four years so again please a hearty welcome to the theater and um, I have a bunch of thanks sorry but you know we cannot do this ourselves um, there are so many people behind the scenes, um, and I just want to take this time to recognize who they are. Uh, my fellow judges, and I'm just going to read you the names here. Patrick Chen, there he is. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. They have Raymond Fong, uh, Brian Powers, uh, Katie Kwan, and uh, JT Takaji, and Rio Rioya Terraro. Uh, he's a good, dear friend of mine, so I, I bashed his name. I hope he doesn't mind. Um, Larry Tung and Jennifer Batit Yen. Jennifer, you here? Yay! Thank you. So, established in 2000, if I can give you a little bit of a quick, brief history, uh, and I'll tell you about uh, this. Um, what ARI is and what this festival has always stood for. And I'll also then tell you a little bit about the prizes and what we were ready to give away. So, in 2001, Asian American and Asian Research Institute started as a university-wide scholarly research and resource center on policies, issues that affect Asian and Asian Americans. Okay? And in addition to tonight's film festival, ARI hosts a whole bunch of other amazing scholarship events, uh, conferences throughout the year, and various student scholarship and opportunities. Um, so we have a wonderful website. Uh, I beseech you to take a look at what we do throughout the year, and we are, these, all of these events are public and open to the public, so we hope you take advantage, and we hope to see you uh, not just for the following uh, festival, but also during the whole year. So since our first film festival in 2004, 
Uh, the Institute has screened and awarded and supported student films. Now, these student films are throughout CUNY only. So uh, we have 25 campuses, and not all campuses have film programs, but we are able to squeeze out and draw out a lot of amazing talent from all of our campuses. So the, the qualification, just to be clear, has always been that they need to have a key Asian production personnel, like a film director or a screenwriter or a DP, um, that in, or that the film engages in some type of Asian or Asian-American topic that's relevant, uh, or a theme, some type of narrative related to that Asian-Asian-American uh, um, people. So for the past 20 years, ARI has awarded over fifteen. Sorry, fourteen thousand dollars in cash and prizes. That's just pure cash that comes out to support our pro projects for students to work and continue in the field. And we've granted them to a over eighty-seven students over these last uh, since two thousand four. So we're really proud of that. And the students, as alumni, come back and help then work with other students that are coming through, which is always a lovely opportunity for alum and current students to work together. So we hope then tonight to add, of course, to that list of brand new group of, of, of uh, production students uh, that are now entering the workforce as talented filmmakers. So in addition to these prizes, um, the past winners have also screened their films. And you know, we want to get our students to work on a national level. So we have our students uh, screen at other festivals that are the longest running Asian American film festival in the country, which is the Asian American International Film Festival in New York City. And that's hosted by Asian Cinevision, which is also one of the partners and supporters for today's program. So we, so far we've had, as participants for today's screening, we've had students who have contributed from Baruch College, Borough of Manhattan Community College, Brooklyn College, but I don't have, I'm not biased, um, City College of New York, College of Staten Island, Hunter College, and Queens College. So for tonight's program, we'll be screening a total of five films with a total screening time of about 70 minutes. Um, and after the screening, uh, we'll be announcing the winner and most importantly also, the runner-up. Because it's not about just who won, but it's also one that we're so close to then getting the highest score, but was just really good, and so we want to recognize that talent. Um, so we'll be asking for um, those folks that have won and those runner-ups to come in for a photo op, please. Um, and also, I forgot to mention, one other place that we have our films of student film screened is also Doc NYC, which is something that I help uh, curate for I used to help curate for throughout CUNY, but now Doc NYC, which is the the largest documentary uh, program in the country, and it happens here in New York. So that's a very that's a very it's a significant opportunity for our students to then network within the industry as well. So we look forward to then helping them elevate to that national level. So um, the various categories are fiction and documentary. Okay, so we'll also follow that up with a little short, brief Q&A. We'd love to have the filmmakers then 
you know, we'd like to know how you made your stuff, right? What inspired you? So uh, let's just now please just enjoy, watch our films, and um, again, welcome to the 20th Film Festival. Thank you. Uh, of course, we're clapping for the filmmakers and all the faculty uh, and all the support from other colleagues of that filmmaker and the director, cinematographer, um, sound, editor, and everything that had to make it to make it uh, to what we see here. So thank you for all of that. So uh, we hope you've enjoyed these selection, this selection. So now we've, uh, we're moving to uh, the prizes, and hopefully we can have a chance to meet the filmmakers and their runners-up for our 20th annual uh, film festival. Um, so for the prizes, I have to just read this because uh, you know, this is new to me. Um, prizes, um, prize awards for the winner and runner-up recipients are $200 and $100 respectively. Our winners and runner-ups will also receive festival submission fee waiver prize, prizes courtesy of the Center for Asian American Media. Uh, which are also co-sponsors of this uh, uh, festival, and also the um, Philadelphia Asian American Film Festival. That way, our students can then submit to those festivals, right? Uh, lastly, all the films shown here tonight will have an opportunity to be screened at the 46th Asian American Film Festival, International Film Festival, that I had talked about to you earlier, and that takes place from July 26th through August 6th. So, Ari, thanks all our media sponsors. Thank you to the Center for Asian American Media and for um, the, the submission fees from the Philadelphia Asian American Film Festival and for supporting our CUNY film students. Thank you for that. So, now, may I announce the runner-up prize for our fiction category is uh, the film Last Hand, submitted by Ming Chen from City College. The winner for the best fiction goes to the film Okusama, submitted by Haruko Fujimoto from City College. So, the runner-up prize for the documentary category goes to Mabuhe Little Manila, submitted by Michael... Tamisuri Yamit from Hunter College. The award for best documentary goes to the film Pink Yellow, submitted by Marina Inoue from City College. Uh, for our third documentary film, um, we uh, for Cosmic Wave, submitted by Yawea um, uh, Kawahito from Broken College, please come up and receive your certificate of participation. I just want to start out just briefly, and I want some participation. It would be great to have some questions from the audience. But just to start to kick things off, uh, I wanted to ask all the filmmakers, um, you know, at this point, how um, did you come up with the idea of the, of the film? So if you can just talk a little bit about, if you could just introduce you know, uh, the name of the film, uh, because you're representing either the filmmaker or the work that you've done yourself. My name is Chaz Fraser. Um, I'm Yayoi's husband. Um, Yayo is graduating this year. She's sick, unfortunately, she couldn't make it, so it came on her behalf. But um, Yayo has the idea for this film, which she had it before I even met her, like four years ago. And all this is basically 
Cosmic Waves is one episode in a continuing series based on Ikigai, which is a Japanese concept of just fulfillment of an internal purpose, um, living life and things like that, which is way too deep to get into this right now. But um, she really wanted to be able to showcase that and bring it to the world. And um, Takuya is a good friend of both of ours and an amazing musician. Um, and she really, really wanted to share his philosophy on not just music, but on living and, and life to everybody. So. Hello, uh, my name is Marina Inoue. Uh, my film, my thesis film is called Pink Yellow. Uh, I had this idea because I, when I came here in the U.S. for the first time as an exchange student, it was in Virginia, and people are not very familiar with Japanese, like real Japanese people, and they talk to me like, oh, what is like, do you like anime games? And I was not very familiar with anime and games, so I was very surprised by that popular, like, that they're very popular in the U.S., and I wanted to see, like, how they, how American people see the Japanese culture and what Japanese women feel about it. Hi, everyone. My name is Michael Tam Suriyamit. I am the director of Mabuhai Little Manila. So this film was first conceived last summer. At the time, I was actually interning at CUNY TV on a show called Asian American Life, which is an, a two-time Emmy Award-winning uh, news show that seeks to center Asian American stories within the tri-state area. And at the time, my show, our host, Ernabel Tamillo, was doing a profile of Little Manila in Woodside, Queens. And at, I was so lucky to be able to attend her shoot for that story. And at that um, filming, I met the wonderful Xenia Diente, who is here in the audience today supporting me. Um, and we were covering and we were you know, talking about, oh, well, there's this upcoming street home naming um, of Roosevelt Avenue as Little Manila Avenue. And I thought, hey, why don't we cover this? And so I decided to embark on this journey of centering Filipino-American history um, as it is, it is important to center Asian-American history in general. Um, and I had the privilege of attending the event to be immersed in that community and really just talk with Phil Ams about what Little Manila means to them. Hello, uh, my name is Ismin Chung. Um, I'm representing the director, uh, Chuang Lam. Uh, unfortunately, he cannot make it today. And uh, I'm, the, I'm uh, also is the composer <laughs> of this film. Uh, obviously, you can see last hand is focused on the family and relationship. As also, the director wants to represent and focus um, to tell uh, you know, more about for, uh, caring in our family. And also, uh, he's very supportive um, for my work as well. And he reached out to me online. We, we finished the, all of the process in a post-COVID time. It's not that easy all the time. And then he um, um, tried to reach out to me at the first just because he wanted to build a um, Asian-American f- uh, film team. This is much I really appreciate about his work, and uh, I'm also looking forward to his next piece about the Kung Fu, and uh, probably we'll have more uh, fantastic films in the future to share. Thank you. Hi, um, I'm representing Okusama uh, for Haruko Fujimoto, who is currently in Japan. 
Um, well, this has no review. Okusama, it didn't exactly state when it took place, but it actually takes place in the 1920s in Tokyo. Uh, the 1920s is a very unique time in Japanese history. Um, as you've seen in a film, for example, The Last Samurai, when Japan was, um, the samurai were going extinct, to put it bluntly, and now in the 1920s, the shoguns pretty much went extinct. Now they were embracing Western ideas, which has been a phenomenon for over 100 years now. So, so this was a very unique time. That's why when she decided she wanted to make a period film and she was doing research, this time period stuck out. Um, and it was just not often told. Um, so she said the country embraced Western cultures and these new ideas, which was creating a transition phase in the country. While you saw some characters did accept it, while some did not, um, some were stuck in the old ways. Some didn't want to evolve. Some got jealous. This and that. Um, so that was happening until, of course, World War II decided. You know what? Now is a good time. So, but obviously we know from history. Western ideas came back, but then Japan thrived after that. But um, what really stuck out to her was when she was doing her research, like what kind of story she wanted to tell. Uh, learning about this time period was very difficult because there's just not many stories out there. There's not much um, on record about it. So it was very hard to find locations, which she found in Hashiogi, uh, Tokyo, Japan. Um, but then she found a story written by a housemaid telling about her experience overhearing their master and mistress arguing over if they should share the expensive snack with her. The mistress suggests giving a piece, while the master resists, saying it would be a waste. The mistress won the argument, and she came over to the maid's dingy room, and as we saw a similar thing in the film, the maid did not want to accept it, but she suppressed her feelings. She bit into the snack later by herself, tears falling on her cheek. A bit of guilt there. This story, though brief, tells the power dynamic that she wanted to tell in this film. That's what inspired the story. She wanted to, she wanted to embrace it. She wanted to tell the story visually through these two women with their own character arcs and in a, practically in a single location, well, two, which was very, very difficult to find, but through the grace of people's generosity, through her hard work and her hustle that she continues to do every day, it blows my mind. She has a two-page sheet sheet right here for me, well-written, just so you can know this, you know, because that's what she does. She does her homework, she does her research, she just keeps going and going and going, and the results speak for themselves. This is actually my favorite film of hers, and she's still going. Period dramas are, um, are a niche subject of hers. She's now thinking of going, portraying 1960s, 1970s Chicago, and 16th century England. And she's Japanese, man, she's, <laughs> she really does research and she really, really works hard. So thank you for this award. I wish she could be here. So uh, I wanted to open up this, uh, up, uh, this chance to the audience. If you have any questions, please. Please. Yeah, it's, it's the calm before the storm. You know, and she definitely wanted to tell a little uh, about feminism during that era. You know, women making their organ, um, developing their organizations, really trying to push them forward. They still are. They're still trying. Japan is still a very traditional country, um, and they're they're still working hard here. That's why a lot of Japanese people come here. I'm not going to say anything wrong about Japan or anything like that, but <laughs> but she wanted to express that very well indeed. And the, about the fitting, um, the kimono fitting, well. For these micro-budget films, the stories that we tell are 
heavily dependent on the resources we have and the good luck we have and the people that we find. If she didn't find people throughout her research, throughout her hustle, these people who actually sell, still sell and take care of these kimonos and these traditional outfits. And these houses that you saw in this film, that's an actual uh, 1920s house um, because it's in the Pacific Rim. Um, most buildings have to be up to code for safety, obviously. So a lot of these houses not only were destroyed by World War II, but they're not up to code. They go, they go down. So she was not only very, not only very good at expressing that time period, but she was very lucky. And well, filmmaking is what eighty percent luck. So no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, thank you. I just want to follow up since we're on that topic. I, I want to split that into two questions because mm. some, two, two subjects or two topics came out of mm -hmm. this. One was um, where was this shot, and then how how did um, how did we get all these uh, the, the resources from where. Did, find all these, uh, the set designer and uh, to curate, to make this, the, the mise-en-scene of this film. Right, so let me just make sure I got the right information here. <laughs> so this was shot in Hachioji, Tokyo, built in the 1930s. And the cafe, the cafe in Hachioji, renovated with 1920s details. So that's why it looks very vibrant and right there. So just make sure. So to be able to do this, well, she found throughout her research, uh, I expressed the difficulty in um, finding all this. She was negotiating prices. She kept getting rejected after rejected after rejection. But there was one lovely house in the suburbs of Tokyo owned by a charming woman who lived there, who grew up there. Throughout this project, she met so many people who specialized in these traditional houses reselling and upcycling, recycling, traditional kimonos, the fitting instructors, the cafe owners. And they said, you're making a film here? That's wonderful. That's wonderful. You can, use, you can use my space. That's what happens a lot. You express what you want to do. You express your intentions, the story you want to tell. You don't be a jerk. And they actually, and you know, if you pay them a little bit, you pay them a little bit. Or ju just with generosity, they think it's a good marketing strategy for them. But also just, they just, they empathize with your project. They actually like what you're doing, and they just allow you to do it on a day where their business is not as crazy, like a Sunday. You know. So through that, she wanted me to remind you guys that that's just you know we filmmakers. I'm a filmmaker too, but I'm not going to talk about myself. Um, you know, we have such immense appreciation for every single person that just not only gives us you know a shout out, um, a, you know, a platform like this festival, but every single person who had an idea, who had a house that you could film in, or an area, or suggest an idea of where to go, maybe you find something here or that, you know, every little bit counts, and it went into this film. She would not have had those costumes if she did not have that help, if she did not go out there hustling, if she didn't, if she didn't do any of that. So she wanted to express her sincere gratitude for people she saw. This is all... This was shot in Japan. It was crowdfunded, uh, three thousand dollars. Two thousand of which um, was crowdfunded. One hundred and twenty of which came from me, um, adjusted for inflation, I think. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's pretty much how it went. Thank you. And the second part of the question I wanted to ask for both yourself, for Haruka, and your, you know, this mm -hmm. film, and also Marina's, because uh, the question of um, femininity. And then, of course, you know, 
uh, how it's being portrayed or how, it, how the Western culture it takes it. Um, so uh, it's loaded and it's apparent in the film, but I want you to, uh, if you can just help tease us out, tease how you worked through dis portraying it and telling your story through this. When I was in undergrad, I was studying human rights, especially like gender and race. So I was very aware of like how, like how the media represent the women in general, and especially for Japanese women, because of anime and, and all those like kind of like exaggerated, over-sexualized figure, like female figure. So I was aware of that then when I went to like Japan Fest or like a New York Comic Con that I filmed. Uh, I seen like a lot of people who are very, very interested in and also who also who illustrates them and also who buy them and I was very surprised so I I think it's very important to like see what we are like as a Japanese women, like we how we are seen by people from outside our culture. And yeah. All I can say is, well, she wanted to she knew the nineteen twenties was a very specific, unique time in Japan, but she wanted to represent that through the two main characters, Kayo, the Miss uh, the maid, and the lead actress, the the wife who discovered that she was being cheated on. Um, you could tell that their costume design and also in their mannerisms how different how different they are. Um, she really showed how the lead actress, um, who has it all, apparently, um, was very relaxed while her maid was pretty much, you know, hustling. Um, but yeah, and of course you have the activist who comes to the house with the most lines of dialogue out of anyone in this whole film, but she was very funny. Um, coming in and being very insistent and just really representing the wor world building, basically. So that's how she wanted to do it through characters and through the costume design um, because that was vital for the production and the makeup as well. A little horror story for her, her makeup artist got COVID the day before the shoot and she only had two days to shoot. <laughs> you know, this is a 25 minute movie but this was done in two days, only two days, uh, which I find a, a magnificent achievement. You know, I'm a filmmaker, you get, Jesus Christ, I, I don't even want to get there. I, <laughs> I, know the, I know the pain of that, but she did it. And she said that she didn't get every shot, every scene that she wanted. And she still got plenty of time right. on that. I mean, just to give you, for the non-filmmakers in the audience, a 25-minute film, typically for fiction, is anywhere between, 20, I'd say about 22 to 30 pages and, uh, of, of a script. And when you get into production, you, if you can put away... Uh, five to six pages uh, per day of filming, that's an achievement. Okay, for uh, I've, when I've worked on the features, I put in maybe three days, four days of a, of a script, and I was like, wow, uh, we, we've done a lot. That's why a feature film would take, or a 90-minute film would take about six weeks with, uh, you know, uh, five, six days of shooting, 12 hours a day, uh, with one day of, of rest. And it's pretty hard work. So to have that, uh, you know, to, to accomplish all of that in just two days, 25 pages or a 30-page script in just two days is phenomenal.
I want to open up um, to, uh, for example, um, Yori's husband, Chaz, and find out what is she working on now? So Yayoi is um, currently working on another episode of Ikigai, which is following um, a dog walker turned dog activist um, named Chad, um, and he walks dogs. He was walking dogs in New York City um, and then transitioned during the COVID times because COVID totally uprooted so many people's lives, his included and his business, um, and decided that he saw how... um, Restricted dogs were living in New York City. He bought himself a van and all of his clients, he told them what he wanted to do. And he said, I wanted to bring all these dogs to nature every single day. Um, So he is (laughs) taking about maybe per day 10 to 15 dogs. Um, They're all impeccably trained and they listen to him without a shadow of a doubt. I've been on a hike with him. We went upstate New York with these dogs. He let the dogs out of the van and they would look the happiest. I've ever seen any animal and that was like really moving for me just we were just on location shooting and how the dogs listen to him how when there's another passerby how they they gather around him and they just sit and they wait for the person to pass by even there's another dog um and he's really really just amazing with them no matter there's a bear nearby or there's any deer running by that the the dogs will look at him first and then (laughs) decide what to do um so she, we, we shot that in February. She's currently editing that now. Um, and I believe there's something else she was working on was in her, um, so Yayoi, just for context, is she's a uh, CUNY BA student, um, which is technically based here in the Graduate Center. Um, and she had the choice to go to any uh, CUNY school that she chose. So she went to CD Tech for um, editing and motion graphics design and Brooklyn College for film. Um, and her senior project at um, City Tech was based on um, the concept and the, the history of the jazz kisa, um, which is loosely a like jazz cafe where you sit down. There's there's physical vinyl records. There's amazing custom built sound systems, and there's a large history of Japanese um, jazz kisas in Tokyo and Osaka where. Um, before, after World War II, um, it was just super, super expensive to import um, records, and like, the average Japanese household couldn't afford it. But there's people who banded together, they put their funds together, they really did, I don't know how they did it, too, um, getting so many jazz records into Japan. And a lot of those, the, 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 the interesting dynamic of that, which um, she was working on in this documentary, which is mixed media, um, and it's a lot of found footage, it's a lot of historical footage. Um, was that initially when jazz um, was starting in the U.S., because it was a product of the African-American community, it was looked down upon. It was, you know, you can't play that here. It was never on the radio. Um, a lot of Japanese, I don't know if you saw, like, the the documentary based on Buddy Bolden, but a lot of jazz music was stolen. Um, also, if you saw Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Bottom where Chad, that was like Chadwick Boseman's last film, before he passed away, you saw how jazz compo- composers had their music stolen by, um, by you know, white business people. And, um, Japan embraced that in a different way, and they they saw it just for the medium that it was, which was just art. 
and they built these jazz cases for people to gather. And then jazz musicians from African-American jazz musicians got to come to Japan and experience that and, you know, have concerts and learn about Japanese culture. And, you know, if you're a musician, some, most of the time you're an activist too. So, like, against war and against the things that happened to Japan in the, in, in the aftermath of World War II, including the occupation. So she's working on that now. It's pretty much finished. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, uh, hopefully she gets to share that with uh, a lot, a lot of people. I'd like to hear from all the, the, the filmmakers if you could talk about either, if you're not the filmmaker, then just talk about you know, the work that you're doing uh, in supporting uh, you know, or developing your own art. So, what do you uh, I just graduated the MFA in film program from City College. and. I, my goal is to make like film about human rights with associated with like international organizations. So I'm currently looking for like a job, like internship at like organiz international organization or non-profit organizations. That's what I'm yeah up to right now. Uh, so just to go back to my film. Um, it's actually perfect timing that this film festival happened tonight because June 12th is actually Philippines Independence Day. And last summer, the street co-naming was held on Philippines Independence Day. So it was a lot of meaning behind the event, the people who showed up to the event. Um, and for me, I've always seen Asian American stories as stories that matter. My, I'm a journalism student, so my film was told through a journalistic perspective to preserve this history. You know, so many Filipino-American nurses um, and, and just Filipino-Americans in general came to the U.S. in search of opportunity and of a better life. And I believe that it's so important to just emphasize these stories. I mean, I'm talking about um, East Asian stories, Southeast Asian stories, South Asians, North Asians, Eurasians. Um, all of these stories matter. And I, I hope that my film resonates not only with Filipino Americans, but with Asian Americans in general, because we've come so far. I mean, since the street co-naming of Little Manila, other communities, other Asian communities have been recognized. So not too far away in Elmhurst, Jackson Heights, a street was renamed or co-named, I should say, Little Thailand Way. And that for me is very special because I am half Thai myself. Um, and also in Ozone Park, Queens, uh, street was co-named as Little Bangladesh Avenue. And all these communities are now getting recognition, and I, I believe that last summer, Little Manila, that street co-naming was a turning point for, for many of us. Um, and if you guys don't live in Queens, I would say definitely maybe June 12th, hop on the 7 train and stop by 69th Street um, to look at the Mabuhai mural, which you saw in my film, and also hop over a, a street and look at the Little Manila sign. Um, Queens is known as the Worldsboro, and I believe it's because there are just so many different communities. You can walk literally a few blocks over and you're in a totally different neighborhood. Um, we have Little India, we have Chinatown in Flushing, um, all these different Asian American communities. And I, I've made in my mission, especially throughout the pandemic, all these Asian American communities, what we've gone through, to sort of show the other side, the positive side of what it means to be Asian American 
And I was just so fortunate to have been able to cover this event, to shine a light on Filipino Americans and um, you know, just help them celebrate as we near its one year anniversary of the street co-naming. follow up with what you were talking about, because I'm a Queens boy myself, uh, although I now live in Brooklyn. Um, the, uh, the film that you have, as a, that you were portraying through a journalistic eye, um, would you continue in that uh, path in terms of journalism? Um, and what story would you be focusing on as your next one? Yeah, so um, I'm in my senior year at Hunter College, majoring in journalism. Um, I've had works um, in various news outlets, including um, in 2021, right after the Atlanta spa shootings, I penned a timely news story for BuzzFeed News about how young Asian Americans were using social media to respond to anti-Asian hate. Um, I feel like the youth perspective has always been important to me because it's, you know, we are the generation that will be sustaining, sustaining society for decades to come. Um, but more recently, I'm actually currently working with ABC, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. Um, and one of my responsibilities is working with our localish team, which is um, a feature series documenting passions and um, just everyday people and, and their crafts and their expertise. And currently, I'm actually doing a profile story about a tailor in Chinatown. And I had stumbled upon this, this tailor um, on Instagram, actually, which is what my generation is known for, being tech social media savvy. And um, the, the page, Welcome to Chinatown, was doing small business spotlights. And I had stumbled upon this tailor who immigrated from Hong Kong in the 1970s. He started a tailoring business um, with his wife in 1978. And, and since then, he's been in business for over 40 years. He's old, like 70, 80 years old, and he doesn't plan on stopping anytime soon. And he's empowering young men um, to feel comfortable not only in their own skin, um, but also just being themselves in their passions one suit at a time. And I just felt that was so important for, for me to, to reach out and see if he was interested um, in, in sharing his story to the greater New York City area. And we're in the process of, of doing that uh, story. And I hope that story will, will get done in, in the next month or so. But yeah, I've just been on this sort of mission, like I said before, to tell Asian American stories um, from all different cultures because they're so important. And I think that the films that were screened today is reflective of just the diversity not only in, in ethnicity, but also just in, in topic and subject matter. I was just truly blown away by every single film today, um, and I hope you guys were too. So, Well, since uh, the director, uh, Chong Lam, he's not here, and I'll just speak for him. Um, so I would love to introduce him a, lo a little bit. Um, he graduated uh, from NYU, and then he made this film at the moment, and then he registered in Brooklyn College, and this is how we uh, kind of meet, because I was studying in uh, Brooklyn College as well, and uh, I was registered in the uh, film uh, media scoring. Uh, so, this is how my career started. <laughs> and um, uh, 
I uh, developed my film, uh, my career mainly in New York City, and uh, all my music inspired by my travel experience in 20, 22 countries. And I also worked as, as a little bit um, outside of the film industry before, uh, foc mainly focused on the wildlife protection as a journalist. Um, well, after that, I think I decided to come back to music industry because uh, I started all my new music study when I was three, and I think if film music is really make me uh, addicted to it, you know, just like last hand, <laughs> I can really uh, quit on this, you know, just like the role. Uh, so uh, Trong and I start to collaborate after uh, this, po you know, during the post-COVID time, and we finish all the process, all the work online. And uh, he is very supportive to me. He's very talented. He's very supportive to me. Um, after I started the work, I realized, oh, probably we need probably wrote a theme song for this, as you guys can hear at the end, at the very, or also at the beginning of this film. And he was like, okay, how about we just build a team? And I put another budget on it. <laughs> and then we uh, recorded all this music online from the singer side, from the guitar, um, guitarist, and then um, I mixed up everything and eventually made the film and the soundtrack. Uh, this is a very fun process for me, you know, working at home, and I still made this great work. I'm really, really proud of him and also of the whole team. Uh, and talking about the Asian uh, America community, um, you know, I have been very, um, um, I've been trying to do my own contribution. I mean, for now, I probably just did a little bit, but I would love to dig more in the future. Um, I mainly use my music to support it. Um, um, you know, some politicians, for example, Andrew Yan, when he running for the New York City mayor, I um, got invited to so write a song for him to support the campaign. And I also work as uh, like a music producer in China Institute. I don't know, have you ever thought about that? Yeah, it's a bridge uh, between U.S. and China to try to, you know, friendly uh, atmosphere and the culture exchange programs. And uh, I think it's meaningful to me, really, in my life and uh, the career in, my, uh, in, in New York and, uh, you know, in America. So I will continue my work. I will can develop my more music, writing more music in film industry or any kind of media. Um, yeah, so <laughs> this is all I can share. Where since the director's not here, well, thank you all. Um, I'll speak on Haruko. Um, she's currently a City College student. She got into the two-year program there. She has one year left, so it is thesis time. She spent the last, uh, just this past semester, hustling on virtually every student film production that there was. Um, so she got very tired, but she said that she learned a lot. That's exactly why she went to that program in the first place. She wanted to try new things. She wanted that experience. She said that she really reflected during the pandemic um, where she was in her life. And of course, we all had that reflection time during the pandemic in 2020. Um, and she said that she regretted um, uh, because taking a break after her first short film many years ago because she didn't have a great experience with it, she said. Um, and so she regrets that big delay in time and getting back into it. Um, I met her back in 2018 at a meetup for you know, web series, TV, all that, you know, local, you know, local bar here in Brooklyn, good people, you know, 
And ever since then, we've been filmmaking partners, and quite frankly, she's one of my best friends at this point. So any set that she is directing, producing, I'm there sometimes. Um, in 2021, she made a film called Emily. It's available on YouTube now. Um, it's been in a film festival, too. Uh, and it's very nice, you know. Um, as a Japanese filmmaker, you, you feel that... Um, that Japanese feeling there. I don't know how to describe it, but you know, with the charming characters and the char character development, um, female protagonist who is, um, needs that confidence to thrive in the city, you know, but she does. You know, it's got that sweet, nice charm to it that, um, and I learned a lot from that production. She's very, very organized and she does all her homework and she's very positive and she hustles. I learned a lot from that, from those three days on set. Um, just being there. Um, if you see, if you, if you see the film, you'll notice I'm that guy that gets the meat at the butcher shop and runs away. Uh, you'll notice I put on some COVID weight. That's why I can't look at that shot. But, you know, um, that inspired me to work harder because filmmaking is not just what's in front of the camera. 90% of the work is behind the camera and everything you did beforehand. It's not just a script. It is a location scouting. It is a talk, it's research, talking to people learning what you can do, the spreadsheets or the shot list and just the call sheets and just, you know, it, it's, it's paperwork. If you work in admin like I do, I've been working admin Brooklyn College for like 10 years now, uh, some of those years in the film department with this guy. Um, he's a great guy, teaches sound, very good man. He was chairperson for a semester. We had a good time back in 2015. So that admin work, um, it, it does help. Um, if you're organized, you're disciplined, she nailed it. But she, even she taught me, work harder, you know? You want to kind of just stay on your ass, stay, stay on your butt, and go like, oh, I'll just wait for the say. Just, you, you, it's very hard, it's, it's very, very nerve-wracking as well. But when you put in that homework, when you, put in, when you put in that passion, you realize, wow, I have some time to just chillax now. I, I, I could just wait until the day of, you know? Like on my last set day, she was there. Uh, we were filming a scene where my CIA agent character gets shot on a bridge. No comment. Um, and then we did a foot chase throughout Industry City, you know, shots running, running, and putting things together. And she was there. She helped organize. She helped people, you know, make sure they knew there wasn't any danger on set. Um, but, you know, if it wasn't for her inspiring me to work harder behind the scenes, uh, that day would have been very, very tricky in the hot sun, you know, going from spot to spot to spot and also you can only you can only do so much in the script when choreographing tricky stuff but be flexible and learn from the people you work with as I learned from her and I was not stressed at all during that shoot until a technical issue later and I couldn't see the footage and I was like I hate Apple um, you know but that problem was resolved see the stress came after the shoot but I mean yeah filmmaking is is stressful but with a good team effort and collaboration, and uh, you know, working every day and toiling and believing in yourself, and that's what we see up here today, and that's the passion with which they have finished their amazing work, and we look forward to amazing more work. I'm so thrilled that you're working on other projects inspired by other stories, and it's just great to see uh, that you're continuing on from here. Um, I wanted to open up to the last few last minute questions for anyone else that may have any questions for the for our um, artists. Yes, please. Yes, well, magnificent. And um, I wanted to ask her. I always push her to to promote that stuff more. Um, so I know there's Emily. 
um, her other shorts, um, Film Freeway, you know that site? Uh, Film Freeway. Um, she has a profile there. Some of her other stuff is there too. Film Freeway, just to let you know, uh, backstory Film Freeway and one other, uh, it used to be Without a Box, uh, which has gone out of business. But they are, there are basically one or two um, distribution websites for filmmakers, both professional and students to get their films out into the film festival circuit. And there must be like over 10,000 film festivals out in the world. A lot of them are just, you know, run of the mill. But a lot of the other good ones are obviously things we've heard of, like the Asian American International Film Festival, which is one of the longest running in the United States, or Sundance, or uh, Cannes, etc. So you can still distribute your films through that uh, website. Uh, film freeway. You could probably find um, any filmmakers that have uh, that have websites or have their work uh, distributed through there should have a uh, you know, a bio that you can find there. I can say though, she has a documentary internship. I think she's going to London actually this summer. Um, um, so there's that too. And I know she wants to do more period dramas, but uh, she did write an excellent story about a medieval. Um, Medieval, you know, from the Middle Ages, an artist who, who sculpts, who paints for the church, um, but the church wants him to send one message. But he is having a, you know, an inner conflict about, you know, he has his own voice, but the church has their message, so they have a conflict. And I, I can say that some of her peers in her class uh, did not agree with the ending, which is not just ambiguous, but it's more nuanced um, because. You know, every young artist just wants, you know, they want to make a statement. They, they, they care about their voice so much, but they're kind of young and naive to how the world works yet and how in this system, um, how a lot of the politics, the funding, the investment, everything goes into it and how you, you, could, you can go behind the scenes um, for any movie and realize this scene was not in the original script or because the investor wanted this and this and that. A lot of that stuff goes into it. Um, so... You know that was a very well crafted story, uh, but I told her just tell your tell your friends, you know, just like just like when you're 30 years old and you start feeling knee pain, they're gonna understand one day the very mature message you have about about your voice and all that. So that's her. When you so she'll promote her stuff more and more. Uh, hopefully you see it one day. And so uh, just one last uh, round. I wanted to ask, uh, do you have your bios out there? Maybe you can share it with the audience. Uh, maybe online or a website? Where yes, definitely. I will post uh, this uh, last-hand film-related um, information um, on my website, www.mingcomposer.com, and also on my Instagram, Mingcheng Music. If you can check, all my work is there, and I would love to share more in the future. Yes, similarly, if you actually just search up my full name on, on the internet, you'll, you'll find me. I'm probably the first link. Um, this, this cut actually, I first published it last summer um, as this film was, was co-produced um, under the supervision of the Asian American Journalists Association. Um, but for this film festival, I, I updated the cut a little bit. Um, but a lot of my, my stories thus far um, are more sort of short form stories. They're like probably capped at two to four minutes just because journalism is um, you know is very similar and is tangential to documentary but um, it's about also telling stories in in, in shorter seconds um, but I do also just before I forget I do want to give one more takeaway and um, just from the films that we watched today um, and I hope that one thing that everybody walks away with is just how we 
think more deeply about what it means to be Asian American. Um, just the plethora of Asian American media that has come out in the last few years, Crazy Rich Asians, everything, everywhere, all at once, um, has been a phenomenal part to raising awareness about Asian American representation. But I think from the films that we saw today, um, Asian Americans deserve so much more. You know, when will we have a South Asian main character in, in a Marvel movie, or when will we have a Southeast Asian, North Asian character? Um, you know, these are things that we are working towards, and I, I'm using my journalism and my platform to hopefully bring us closer to that day. This is kind of like my first, very first film that I made, so I don't have much like previous work other than like short project for the class assignments. But this film has a, a website that I made as a part of marketing class. And also there is a screening, like MFA in film, City College, the thesis preview screening this Tuesday, June 6th at SBA Theater in Chelsea. So there, there is a website for that screening too, and you can see all the bios and everything from the City College graduate students. So Yayoi is technically graduating on Monday, um, and as such, um, because she's CUNY BA, she went to different schools, and then because she went to different schools, she had multiple theses. <laughs> so she had um, her thesis project, which was what you saw today from Brooklyn College, and then I mentioned before the Jazz Kisa, which was her senior project from uh, City Tech. So um, <laughs> because Yayoi is an editor, she is very meticulous. And um, her works, um, you can find her previous works on yayoikabahito.com. But um, she'll probably be updating what you saw today and her other works, the Jazz Kisa, the Ikigai project for Chad with the dogs that I mentioned. Um, but uh, thankfully, I'd like to share she just got hired, she didn't even graduate yet, but she just got hired by an independent documentary filmmaker as an assistant editor. So she'll be working in the industry like now. <laughs> she'll get a little bit of summer break, but then she's gonna start working immediately. And um, But she's still passionate about the stories she wants to tell, whether it's Ikigai, whether it's about music. She initially came to the US um, and went to um, Manhattan BMCC for business and she started working as a music journalist um, and yeah so you know her, her passion was music her passion was was film and she is living her her dream now so I'm so proud of her so um, yeah if you'd like to see anything she's done yayoikawahito.com right. well that concludes our Q&A thank you thank you audience for coming to our 20th annual and you know what there's behind every camera behind every theatrical display, there are always people that are actually doing all the hard work. So I want to turn your attention to Anthony and William in the back. Thank you so much. And, and Ping Ping, who is at the door to help work through the program and uh, arrange all the media for us to have this, uh, this uh, valuable two and a half hours. Thank you again. And hope to see you next year. On behalf of Ari, thank you again.